MSW Media. ¿Qué tal, mi gente? Soy Pili Montilla y estás escuchando What Are You Drinking with Dan Dunn. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. What we're drinking with Dan Dunn. I am Dan Dunn. Coming up on this episode, we have NFL Hall of Famer, also a vintner, Charles Woodson, going to be joining me. We're going to talk wine. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk all sorts of fun things with Charles Woodson. But first, I want to uh, touch on a couple of things. I got, uh, I was eating today. I was having a uh, bologna sandwich. I love bologna sandwiches. I'll admit it. And especially in these tough times, I think people are, you know, cutting back, maybe not spending as much money on food. And I was got to thinking about some food pairings, maybe some suggestions that I could offer. Look, there's been a lot of ink and hot air been spilled over the act of pairing. That is combining food and drink effectively to create a taste that is greater than the sum of its parts, right? That's what we're doing. Uh, what no one ever seems to talk about, however, is that you can add good wine to shitty white trash meals to make them not only slide down your gullet more quickly, but to get you a little buzz so you forget about the fact that you're eating craft dinner for the third time this week. So again, as a service to you during the pandemic, I, I'm, I'm going to sort of attempt to reconcile my past with my present. So bon appetit, motherfuckers. First one, fried bologna sandwich with Gloria Ferrer Carnero Chardonnay. Hear me out here. The intensely unctuous bologna calls for a well-rounded wine that strikes a delicate balance between fragility and belligerence. Don't forget to add mustard. Okay, here's another one. Another one for you. Bucket of KFC original recipe with Geyser Peak Sauvignon Blanc. Because the Colonel's fried chicken begs for a wine with bright acidity and herbaceous flavors to temper the spontaneous coronary artery dissection you just suffered. I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Don't eat that shit. Don't eat KFC. Whatever you do. Now, what you could eat is Hamburger Helper with Conundrum California red wine. So why do they call it Hamburger Helper when we all know it's the pasta getting the help? It's quite the conundrum. You see where I'm going with this? High comedy. And finally, uh, how about a little Chef Boyardee beefaroni with Boone's Strawberry Hill? Because if you're going to surrender, you might as well surrender completely. Also, on a recent episode, I talked about hybrid grapes, and I got a couple people hit me up on the social medias. I'm at The Imbiber, by the way. Instagram, Twitter, at The Imbiber. Go for it. So some people hit me up asking about hybrid grapes, what they are. And, I, and again, I, I, as I mentioned on the previous slide, these are grapes that could hold up in sub-zero temperatures in the winter. They are designed. These are grapes that were cultivated in labs mostly to be able to survive. And I want to give you a little rundown on some of these grapes before we jump into the interview with Charles Woodson. And also want to let you know, after the interview with Charles Woodson, I'm going to tell you about some new adult beverages you ought to be drinking because I care about you. I'm here for you. 
All right. So hybrid grapes. One of the biggest ones is called Frontenac. Now, like many hybrids and at least one ex-girlfriend, Frontenac is the result of the extensive crossbreeding research done by scientists at the University of Minnesota. It's primarily used in dry reds, rosé, and port. Then you've got Frontenac Gris, which is the white version of Frontenac. And that one, of course, doesn't get pulled over as much by the cops. The Valiant Grape are blue grapes traditionally used to make jams and jellies. And they can make wine out of that in places like Wyoming and Montana. Then you've got one called Marchial Folk. M-A-R-C-H-E-A-L and then F-O-C-H. It's a French hybrid. Uh, believed to be a cross of gold Riesling, which in it itself is an intraspecific cross of Riesling and Cortilier Musque, with a Vitus Reperio, Vitus Repestris cross. In other words, it's fucking confusing, all right? Forget about that grape. Uh, there's the Elvira grape, which is a medium-sized green berry created by mixing Vitus Labrusca with big-breasted Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> That wasn't really scary. Oh, and finally, a big one, uh, the Marquette grape, also developed at the University of Minnesota. It's a cross between two other hybrids, MN1094 and RAVAT262, not to be confused with Coldplay, which is a cross between Radiohead and Kenny G. With that... With that all out of the way, let's jump in and talk to NFL Hall of Famer, Charles Woodson. Joining me now is a vintner, also happens to be one of the greatest football players in NCAA and NFL history. He won national championship and the Heisman Trophy playing defensive back at Michigan. Then over an 18-year NFL career, he won a Super Bowl. He's named to the Pro Bowl nine times. As a devoted Philadelphia Eagles fan, I can tell you that anytime our guys played against him, he haunted my dreams. He's got a wine brand called Intercept, which I picked off last night. See that little football reference? Delicious stuff. Please welcome to the show Charles Woodson. How are you, Charles? I'm doing well, man. I think you use uh, intercept in that sentence very well, man. Thank you. Yeah, I was just, I just happened to be running again. There was the wine. Picked it off. It was delicious. Yeah, man. It's, uh, first of all, thank you again for for joining us. And uh, you've been in the wine game. When you were playing for the Raiders, you guys held training camp in Napa, right? Yes. So that's that's where it started for you, right? That's where it started, man. So I was very, um, Lucky and fortunate to to be the fourth overall pick in the NFL draft in 1998. And then I doubled up my luck by uh, going to the Raiders and their training camp being in Napa Valley. So, you know, here I am every year. You know, I'm up in Napa Valley, wine country, beautiful part of the country, every year for three to four weeks, you know, during training camp. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where it started. You know, I always tell people it was, it was my proximity to wine that got me um, interested in it because I was right there in Napa and that's where it started. Did, did you prior to that? I mean, I'm assuming that you, at the, at the frat parties at Michigan, they weren't uh, pouring fine Napa Cabernet, right? No, we were, we were trying to find whatever we could afford 
uh, getting in the liquor store, trying to get somebody to buy it for us. You know how it is in college. <laughs> yeah. So whatever we could get our hands on, you know, that's that's what we were drinking. And it wasn't any uh, fine wine. Nobody was uh, grabbing their glass and swirling it around and sniffing and all that. It was it was a lot of drinking going on, but that's about it. You often hear people talk about their aha moment with wine, that moment when it just goes from this thing that seems abstract and you don't really understand that I've had that moment. What was yours? What was that? Do you remember when you just tasted it and went, yeah, this is the stuff for me? Well, I think it was, uh, I think it was more of a, a gradual effect for me because I was in, I was in Napa and I saw people drinking wine all of the time. Um, and I was one of those people who, you know, were kind of just intrigued by it. So I wanted to try it. So over time I would try uh, different wines by, by, you know, different labels. And, um, you know, just, just through a course of tasting wine, I thought everything combined, you know, not just necessarily the wine, but it was going out to restaurants. It was sitting at a table around with four or five people actually talking about the wine and like talking about different elements of the wine. And, you know, that was, that was all different. Like I say, I'm, I'm coming fresh out of college and nobody did that when it came to, you know, going to a party and, and drinking, you didn't, talk about we we didn't have a very very long conversations about Hennessy <laughs> you sure. know what I'm saying yeah. so so it, it was just a, a gradual a gradual effect um and over time I just said you know what I, I love everything about the wine culture uh wine country and I want to be a part of it long term so I guess it was around the early 2000s you you had a friend at Mondavi and yep. so what happened there you got your own barrel is that what happened you started with one barrel yeah, yeah. He he was working with Mandabi and uh, he was like, hey, man, we, we should do, you know, a, a single barrel. And uh, we did a, a Merlot and um, let's just do a single barrel. And it would be something that we would give away for, you know, to friends, maybe a charity or whatnot. It's just going to be a personal thing. And uh, we made we, we, we made that wine and thought it just came out, you know, a beautiful, beautifully made wine and uh, decided, you know what, let's, let's try to take it to the next level. Now, how how hands-on were you Charles in the, in terms of the developing that flavor profile of that wine were you in the tape were you blending were you take you, you know was it your guy just gave it to you and said you tell him what you wanted or were you really hands-on on this thing yeah and that, and that part it was it was uh not it not as hands-on um but I, I was always around and um you know he was working for Mandabi so I had a chance to you know visit Mandabi uh winery you know I don't know 10, 10, to, 10 to 20, 30 times or whatever it is. So, you know, going down to the barrel rooms and just really just learning, you know, about wine. Um, and so we we did tastings, of course, of, and, and, and trying to, you know, see what that flavor profile was going to be like uh, over time. Uh, but like I said, you know, over the course of, you know, 18, 19 months, you know, what came out of it was exactly what we wanted. And then where your real mark happened was in 2005, you, you launched 24, which was Cabernet from Calistoga, which, by the way, we should acknowledge right now, Calistoga has just gotten destroyed by these fires. And I think uh, yeah. and it's something I want to talk to you about as well. But we'll stick with the past right now. So in 2005, you decided to launch this Cabernet, which was – and it was a high-end label. I mean, what are we talking about here price-wise? Yeah, retail. It was retailing at $85. Um, even You know, actually, over time, it kind of came down. We, we, we were retailing over – you know, a hundred bucks. And over time it came down, but still, um, 
you know, it was a, a high-end wine um, that we got. So 2005, actually, we actually sourced our grapes for our first vintage. Um, and 2006 was the first year that we got grapes from uh, from Calistoga. Um, and so that, you know, 24 by Charles Woodson, uh, 2006 Cabernet. And, and I mean, it really, really great wine. Um, but, you know, we'll get into it later. But uh, at, at a time point in time, we had to move on to, you know, where we are now with Intercept. While this is going on, you're you're playing football and you're playing football yeah. at a high level. So how do you mm-hmm. how do you divide your time? Is it mostly off season that you're really getting into the wine, or are you you know are you doing meetings for you know you got you got the uh, you got the the uh, Cowboys coming up this week, and then that night you're doing <laughs> some wine stuff. Is that what was going on at that time? Yeah, no doubt. So you no know, constant, you know, in constant communication. Uh, with uh, Rick Reese, that, you know that was his name, the guy who I was making the wine with, and uh, and then of course our winemaker, uh, who was Gustavo Gonzalez, and he was also with Mondavi um, at the time, and so you know, for me, you know, early on 2005, you know, I was right down the street. I was in you know Alameda. You know, it take me you know an hour or so to get to Napa Valley, so I could go back and forth. Of course, it was a little different um, once I went to Green Bay. Then it was more, of course, phone, phone calls. Uh, with Rick and Gustavo, and then it was more off-season uh, time when, when it came to going back and forth during the off-season. The wine mecca that is Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, they do make wine in Wisconsin. Yeah. They make, you know, I yeah. I wrote a book called American Wino where I drove around the entire United States. They make wine in every state in the U.S. I'm I, I'm not sure how many, but I, there's a f- significant amount of wineries in Wisconsin. Now they're not, you know, it's mostly hybrid grapes, or they're making it out of you know, whatever berries they can grow up there. But I think it's encouraging that they are making wine everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, you can go to any state and they, they have some level, some level of wine making. And then a lot of those places, they source their grapes from Napa Valley. They just, you know, they get it from, you know, the best growing place in the world in, in Napa Valley. So it just depends on what kind of grapes they have and, you know, if they can sustain it through their, their seasonal changes. But yeah, like you say, man, every state has, you know, some level of wine making and you wouldn't even know it. Now let's talk a little bit about, about Intercept because this is, you launched this uh, last year, right? 2019. And these are, these are more central Paso Robles and Monterey wines. You're doing Cab, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and you also do a red blend. And, and this is with O'Neill Vintners, which is a very, a, a, a large operation, but this one you've, you're, you're going more for the more affordable wine than your previous wines. What went into that decision? Uh, the fans. It really was the fans, you know, I had, um, you know, people, you know, all across this country, you know, I would be out and meet people. And um, a lot of people supported, you know, my brand, you know, 24. Um, and, you know, the consensus was, hey, man, we love your wine. You know, we want to support, but you got to make something a little more reasonably uh, priced. Uh, you know, what would happen is people would buy a bottle of the 24 and they'd want to hold on to it for 10 years and, and wait for a special occasion down the road, uh, which is great. But of course, when you're you're making wine, and you got to you got to you got to sell bottles to stay alive. You know, that's not going to be a, a sustainable model for you. So um, this was derived out of um, the, the needs I feel like of my fans who wanted to support me was to come up with something that was more reasonably priced. And uh, that's where intercept was born. And this, and we're talking about, this is right around the $20 price point. Right. And I got to say, you know, especially now, you know, people are struggling. It's, you know, they got to watch their money and 
there are so many fantastic wines in that range, in that $15 to $30 range. And right where you're at, I think you just hit the sweet spot in terms of, I'd hold this wine up. Uh, the one I had last night, I had the uh, the Pinot Noir from Monterey County. Uh, mm-hmm. I had the 2018, which I think you just put out, right? It just came out. Mm-hmm. And I'll put that up against an Oregon Pinot Noir, you know, probably in the eighty to one hundred dollar range. And I bet most people would not be able to tell the difference. I mean, it's it's a it was very it's a medium bodied wine and had it you know the yeah. it just a really juicy fruit forward you know almost uh, sweet but not cloyingly sweet. So I got a little bit of like there's some pastry in there and the, and the berries. It's a really delicious wine. And for twenty dollars, I just couldn't recommend it high enough. I think, and I think you you hit you hit it right on the head. You know, people want to drink great wine. I mean, and uh, but when you go to the store, you know, you you're not trying to set your you set yourself back two or three weeks. You know, you want a great wine at an affordable price, and uh, and then get all of those things out of it, like you just explained. You know, for me, I love medium to full bodied wines, and uh, you know that's what uh, attracted me to the Pinot. Um, Noir when I first met with O'Neill and their team and, and our winemaker Amanda Gorder, um, this Pinot was one for me because I typically am not a Pinot drinker because I feel like a lot of times they're just too light. Um, you know, you drink them and it just passes through. There's really nothing to hold on to, and this Pinot has some weight, has some body to it, um, a really, uh, really nice finish to it. And uh, for me, it's it's something that uh, a wine that I could a Pinot that I could have with food. And I thought that was, um, you know, great for me and great for uh, the people who want to try Intercept wines and drink Carpino. I think it's a food wine. And uh, um, I think you described it, you know, right on point. It's rare that I do this. So note this moment that I got something right there. So, I mean, you know, originally and and, and honestly, it was the same sort of experience that I had, Charles, when I came to California. I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Philadelphia, obviously. When I first fell in love with California wines, I gravitated to the big Cabernet because that mm. that was the thing that California was best known for. And and frankly, it was the thing they did the Cab is king. It's the Cab thing they king. did best. But now right. now you're seeing, especially in the central coast and all that, they're doing a fantastic job with Pinot Noir. Yeah, I I think, you know, Pinot Noir, um, Cabernet, you know, with us, um, you know, our Chardonnay, the Red Blend. I mean, they they are putting together, you know, quality wines and, and, and they're getting recognized for it. I think, you know, Paso, you know, over the next co- uh, couple of years would be one of those places where, where people would say, you know what, this this is the next spot. It brings me to a, a question I want to ask you. So th- you are not the only football player in the wine game. And uh, an old buddy of mine makes wine in Paso, Terry Hoke. Uh, Terry Hogue played for the for the team formerly known as whatever they're called now in the Washington. And uh, he, <laughs> George Bulldog won a national championship just like you did at Michigan. Also in the Napa area, uh, Dick Vermeil, former yep. coach of the Eagles and Rams, had had I don't know if it's still there. Uh, he had his his tasting room right there in the middle of Napa. Made Vermeil yep. once. If you had to say, Charles, yourself excluded. Who are your three favorite wines made by uh, football players? Yeah, I, you're right. Um, I would say just just the, the the two I know would have to be uh, Rick Meyer. You know, yeah. Rick Meyer makes uh, you know mirror wines, 
And then um, there's uh, Drew Bledsoe, you know. With, in Washington uh, dub, State, dub, double back. Washington yeah. State, double back. Um, and I, I would say just those two right now because I'm, I'm drawing a blank on all the other people who make wines. But. Well, I can tell you some other ones. Uh, J- John Kent Cook, former owner of the Washington team, They've got a winery in Middleburg, Virginia, which I've been to called Boxwood, and they're doing uh, Bordeaux style blends. Which I, I don't know if you have you had a chance to try Virginia wines, Charles? Because if you get up no. into Northern Virginia, there's a lot of they're doing a lot of great stuff with the Bordeaux blends in that region of the country. No, I haven't. I haven't had that. No, I have not. Delicious stuff, and uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that have that are doing it. Uh, John, doesn't John Elway have a wine? I believe, and and and. Yeah, I think he had one for a while. I'm not sure he's still doing it. And so they're growing all of those varietals in uh, Virginia, or are they sourcing them for other places? They're growing them there, and it, it does raise some interesting questions about the way the climate is changing and the way, you know, where how certain grapes are, you're starting to see them, different regions are becoming more hospitable to grapes, while others right, might right. not be. So let, let's talk a little bit about your beloved Napa and... What's going on up there right now? I mean, it, it it's heartbreaking, but I've been reading reports that say it's pretty much decimated in terms of the wine crop this year and, and also losing the physical facilities. What are your thoughts on what's happening in Napa? Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the correct word. I think it's heartbreaking, you know, uh, especially for someone like myself who spent a, you know, a great amount of time in Napa Valley. Um, you know, when I saw pictures of the Calistoga Ranch, I mean, that was, you know, near and dear to my heart. You know, when I, anytime I would visit uh, Napa Valley, you know, if I was in the off season and I was back in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, where I spent my off seasons, when I went out to Napa, there wasn't a whole lot going on downtown. So my best place uh, that I wanted to stay was at the Calistoga Ranch, you know, and even though it was, you know, 30 minutes up the road, you know, we, we might be downtown somewhere, but Hey, when the night's over, I'm headed up the road to Calistoga Ranch. Um, Beautiful place. You know, they were always, you know, great to me. And, you know, when I saw the pictures of that place burned down, man, it just, it just, it broke my heart, man. And um, like you said. It's gone, right? It's gone now. Yeah, I believe it's gone. And so when you talk about, you know, a place like Calistoga Ranch, uh, Meadowood. Um, are you talking about some of the wine? The big part of the build, the the restaurant's gone. I know that. Right, uh, right. And so, you know, you talk about restaurants, hotels, uh, and then actual vineyards being burnt. And then not only vineyards being burnt, but the smoke, you know, when the smoke takes over the grapes, then like you said, I mean, you you, you lose a year's harvest. So it's devastating uh, to the people in, 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 Napa, in Napa Valley, man. And uh, I, I just hate to see it. It's one of myriad tragedies that are happening in 2020, but uh, for purposes of what we're doing here, it will be interesting to see what they're going to do up there moving forward, because let's face it, this is becoming a problem every, at least every couple of years, probably a year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you got to wonder at some point, because this is the thing I find encouraging, I guess, is there's a lot of money up there and you know that as well. Maybe eventually some of that money is really going to get behind it politically and just go, look, this is what we have to do. If if this jewel, which I think we can both agree it is, it is to survive, we're going to have to take the necessary steps to make that happen. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think that's one way to look at it. Um, but I think the other way you look at it is there's going to be a lot of people who are, uh, you know, they're going to say to themselves, hey, man, every year 
we're getting hit with a devastated fire. Um, we don't know if next time it's going to hit where we're at. Um, and then the people, you know, their homes burned down, uh, businesses burned down, may just all together say, you know what, I'm not going through this any, anymore. Uh, so I think you are going to have a large uh, percentage of people who are just going to going to move. You know, they'll go to Arizona or they'll, maybe they'll move to uh, Vegas or Colorado or wherever it may be. But it's, it's you know, when that fire hits, there's no coming back. I mean, when, when, when fire takes over, I mean, it, it decimates everything. And, uh, you know, it's hard to rebuild from that and especially rebuilding in the place where it seems to be happening every year. And you're right. I, I think there's going to come a point where people's survival instinct and also just common sense is going to kick in and go, what the hell am I doing? You know, am I going to keep right. doing this every year? I've got, you know, I've got friends up there, uh, a friend of mine at Jordan Winery, you know, Jordan over in, in, in near Healdsburg. And my friend who does the PR there, you know, her barn, her garage bar has burned down like three times in the last five years. So at some point, you're, people are just going to go, what are we going to do? So, you know, in terms of wine making, you mentioned some places like Arizona and Colorado and even Michigan, man. Like, you know, when you were, have you ever gone up and tasted some of the, you know, they do some amazing dessert wines up in the, in the peninsula there in Michigan. And also there's a region called Paw Paw. Are you familiar with Paw Paw? Mm -hmm. Yep. They're making good wine. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Pe people, people are find, you know, people are resourceful, you know, so they'll find different places to go um, to, you know, continue their passion. And so if they, if they got to go, you know, as far east as, as Michigan and, and start over there and not have to worry about being, you know, the prospect of being burned down every year, they'll do it. Because like you said, they're, they're making wine in, in every state, basically. So it's not that you have to make it in Napa, but of course, Napa, it, you know, it has that prestige and it, you know, it, it really does, you know, grow the best grapes, has the best climate. So it's, it's, it's easy in terms of uh, making it happen there, uh, maybe then, then else, elsewhere. But like I said, man, people are going to have a hard time just sitting put and, and watching this happen every year. One more thing before I let you go, Charles, you, you know, obviously you're, you fell in love with wine in the Napa Valley, which is a really good place to do it. But what are your thoughts on, are you an old world wine fan as well? Or are you, are you drinking Italian wines, Bordeaux, Spanish wines, or are you into the old world stuff? No, I'm more, I'm more California. You know, I feel like, you know, California is, you know, I like fruit forward wines. you know, and, uh, old worlds, old world wines, you know, never really appealed to me that much, you know, though I've, you know, had a few over the years, but, I'm more California. I like it. Hey, you got to be, I was just uh, reading an interview with Snoop, who's got a, he's working with a new wine now too. And, and he, he yeah. basically said, that he says, I'm only, I'm only doing California, man. That's where I'm from. And that's what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, but I, I got to say again, everybody out there, I mean, these, these intercept wines are, are really delicious and you're just not going to beat them for the price. You've, again, you've got a Cabernet Sauvignon, you got a red blend, uh, which is, I think what it was, Zinfandel, there's a Syrah. What else you got in that one? Um, yeah. 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 It's highlighted by the Petite Syrah and the Zinfandel. Um, then there's Petit, Petit Verdot, um, Syrah. And uh, Tempranillo. Tempranillo, the Spanish grape. Yeah. yeah. And yep. uh, you got the Pinot Noir. As I said, that's what I drank last night from Monterey County. And man, it, Charles was not wrong about that. Like, I wish I had had a steak with that thing because that was just 
ready for it. You know, that savory steak with that Pinot. Yeah. That that's what's so um, awesome about the Pinot Noir is just uh, a week ago, I was actually out in, in El Paso and uh, we had the Pinot with the ribeye. And, uh, you know, you don't you don't typically think Pinot, you know, with with the, the big steak, the big juicy steak, like like a ribeye. And I mean, this thing paired together so well, man. And I was just I was blown away by the Pinot. It was like I fell in love with it a second time, you know, so. <laughs> This is this is a food wine, and it's one that I would I would recommend you next time you have a ribeye. Uh, somebody who's out there uh, that that's having the Pinot Noir intercept, you try a ribeye with it, man, and just tell me what you think. I think uh, it's ben, a great and, and the, the final yeah. one is the Chardonnay. Uh, how would you describe the flavor profile on the Chardonnay? Yeah, uh, a great crisp, um, again fruit forward but medium bodied uh, Chardonnay, um, well balanced. You know, I think for for me, all of my wines, I like the balance of the acidity, uh, the fruit, as well as tannins. You know, and so those tannins help give it that that medium body uh, profile. So, uh, ripe fruit, you know, apple notes, um, and great for especially here in Florida right now. It's ninety five degrees. It's it's a great time to be drinking a you know a nice chilled glass of uh, Intercept Chardonnay. How you feeling about your Raiders this year? You know. Uh, I feel, I feel good about them, I, but the, the problem is, you know, they've been dealing with some injuries, especially on their offense. You know, they had to go into the season with two rookie wide receivers, and those guys, both of those guys were out last week, you know, so you lose some of your, your firepower. Um, a little concern on the defense as far as tackling is concerned. So those are things that you can correct, you know, as a team. You just need the guys to really hone in on, on, on what their assignments are making sure their angles are correct. So they're, they're correctable things. Um, so I feel good about the team as a, as a whole, but those little things will hold us back if we don't get them correct. Talk about injuries, man. I'm an Eagles fan. I think our entire offense is yeah. out. You know, it's, I mean, <laughs> you, you guys have been like that the last two years. This is a, this is a question I have for you, Charles, because as a Philly fan, like you find people are we're going, what the hell is good? Like, how can one team have this many injuries? Is it possible that it has something to do with either the facilities or the staff or like how can the Eagles every year, especially wide receivers, we cannot keep wide receivers healthy. They are constantly hurt. What's going on, man? Tell me what, please tell me what's going on here. You know what? I I think the easy answer is football is a tough game. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, you know, it just may be your team that way, you know, for a couple of years, it seemed like, you know, you have injuries all over the place. But what I would tell you is that a couple of years ago, you guys had an injury to the most important position and you still went on and won the Super Bowl. That's so there's true. hope even though you have injuries. There is, there is. I, what I feel is happening, Charles, is this is karma. This is the football gods are paying us back for Veteran Stadium because Veteran <laughs> because Veteran Stadium, as you know, is did you ever play at the vet? You played at the vet, right? It was like it was it, it was horrible. Ronnie Lott described it as putting a sheet over concrete and playing on that. that that's what he said it was like. That, that, that's a fact. I played, in, I played in that stadium and we would run out there and we could not believe that this was actually an NFL stadium. So <laughs> Ronnie Lott is, is absolutely right. And when you, left that, when you left that game, 
you left a lot of your skin out there on that turf when you left. <laughs> yeah, man, I got to figure that was not that was not the place many people wanted to play, and, and a lot of no. a lot of couple a, a few careers went there. I think Michael Irvin was done there, right? That was the end of him, the vet, right? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that is the stadium where he got hurt. He hurt his neck, and uh, he hurt I his think neck. That was it. And then somebody, another wide receiver, blew out both knees on the same play. I think his cleats got stuck in a crease in the turf. Do you remember this? In the, I don't. I don't remember that one. Oh yeah, and it was bad. And I, you know, of course, it being Philly, people were cheering, and then they just go, oh, "My yeah, God, come on, man, come on!" But hey, I will say this: of all, I you know, I follow the Eagles. I go around, or when we could go to games, the one place that I was afraid to go was Oakland. No other stadium. I wasn't afraid to go to any other stadium, but I would not go to Oakland wearing all my Eagles gear. I thought that was would be a bad move. Yeah. I mean, if you went to the Oakland Raiders game, you know, especially back then, it would be good, man. It just go in a neutral color, man. <laughs> exactly. You know, don't go in your Eagles. Don't go in your Eagles gear. Cheer you know, my, flaunt, they score. You know, be like, you know, okay. Yeah, don't be going in there flaunting fly, Eagles fly, and all of that stuff, man. <laughs> just go just to enjoy a game of football. You don't want any problems. All right, a final question. If if the Super Bowl does happen this year, and I hope it does, I mean, I know they're having some problems with the COVID, but if assuming the Super Bowl does happen at some point, who you who you got? Who's winning the Super Bowl this year? Oh, man, that's tough. I, uh, with, with, with looking where, at where we are right now, I would say the Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs are the champs. You know, until you knock the champ out, they're still the champs. So I'm rolling with them, with, with the AFC. And, uh, the way that things have gone this, these first few weeks, I don't think anybody's playing better than Aaron Rodgers right now. And if he can keep that rolling, um, then I think you look at the Green Bay Packers coming out of the NFC. And so in that, ca- in that case, in that case, I'm going with the Pack. You are. Well, you play with Rodgers, right? So, I mean, so. would you you put him in the conversation, the top five of all time? Uh, of all, uh, whew, Top five of all time. Um, I, I would say he's hovering. You know, right there, uh, certainly, you know, top three in the game right now. Right now. Uh, o- overall, you got some guys. I mean, you got to go through Brady, Joe Montana, Dan Marino. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys throughout the history. But, I mean, you, you take Aaron Rodgers' body of work and, and, you know, the way he's able to, you know, um, just continue to win. I mean, he, j- he just continues to win every year, man. Then, of course – He's going to be in a conversation. Yeah, I forgot about Peyton Manning. I mean, that guy, Drew, lot, Drew Brees. There's a lot, Drew man. Brees, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. I man. mean, and then guys uh, like Jim Kelly. I mean, he never won the Super Bowl. He got there four times in a row. You got, yeah. I mean, Randall Cunningham, man. You know, when I was talking to Ronnie Lott, oh, man, the dog's barking. Uh oh. Somebody's coming. They're coming Whoa. for my yeah. wine. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, when I talked to Ronnie Lott, he said, Randall. Obviously, it had some injury issue, but Randall, he said, was one of the toughest guys you could ever play against. Yeah, you know, he was, you know, one of those guys that um, I don't think got a lot of love back in those days because of his playing style, you know. But he he was a guy who was, of course, he was nifty in the backfield. He, he made people miss. He could run. He was fast. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of start in that time you box people into being running quarterbacks, you know, but he was a quarterback. He was just an athletic quarterback. But yeah, I don't think he he gets the the do that he should. Well, he was. A, I mean, let's face it, he was a trailblazer back then. I mean, I grew up in Philly, and we know what Philly was like, and we know what they, you know he was a, he was a black quarterback. You know, back then, right. back then, people 
that people paid attention, like they would, that mattered, right? You don't ever think about yeah. it. I don't think, I never think about it. You don't look at Patrick Mahomes, you don't look at any of these guys now. But back then, that's what he had going against him was right. people were biased against him because, you know, he's like, oh, he's not playing the traditional way. He's not YA tittle. And, but he, he broke so much ground for the way people play quarterback now that, you know, I'm, I'm glad we had him for a little while, but I'll tell you this, whether or not uh, Aaron Rodgers is in the top five or not, one thing is unquestionable in terms of D-backs. You are in the top five, and I, I, I couldn't be more thrilled to have you with us here, man. And uh, thanks again for doing it, and thank you for making some great wine. And I think Intercept, again, everybody, get it, man. It's it's available all over the country now, right? Yeah, we're we're pushing forward, man. I think we're up to uh, 31 states at the moment um, where we've launched. And, uh, you know, our plan is, of course, to get into all 50. And hopefully by mid-2021, we'll be in all 50 states, man. So we're we're growing. And uh, it's been a fun ride. Charles Woodson, everybody. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Go Intercept. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy... I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. How? Well, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair, and your hair will take care of you. You want me to do one in English? Yeah, yeah, do one in English too. Hey guys, what's up? I'm Pili Montilla and you are listening to What Are You Drinking with Dan Dunn. Or What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, is it What We're Drinking? Yeah, or if you want to go What Are You Drinking, that's fine too. No, what is it What We're what? what we're Drinking with Dan Dunn. What's up guys? I'm Pili Montilla and you are listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. My old pal Rich Frank and his wife Leslie are the owners of Napa Valley's Frank Family Vineyards. Well, they just donated $7.5 million to the College of Media, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, which is where Rich is an alumnus. It's the largest gift in the college's history. It's going to establish the Richard and Leslie Frank Center for Leadership and Innovation in Media. And I just want to give them a shout out for that. Rich and Leslie believe there's a critical need for good, solid, objective journalism in this country, and I believe that as well. And those guys are putting their money where the principals are. Uh, FYI, Rich, in addition to Frank family, uh, Rich is the former president of Disney Studios. When he was there, they created the Golden Girls, Home Improvement, plus the movies, Good Morning Vietnam, Dead Poet Society, Lion King. He oversaw the launch of the Disney Channel. Leslie Frank, formerly Miller, his wife is an Emmy award-winning broadcast journalist. And again, they're both vintners now, hospitality leaders in Napa Valley. 
support them because Napa needs the help. And I know they do after all the fires and everything up there. And again, $7.5 million to the University of Illinois, which is just amazing. But again, Frank Family Vineyards, 1992, it started. They really make delicious wine. They were named uh, Best Napa Winery by the Bay Area A-List for eight years in a row. It's such a great spot. Their, their, their wine, the Patriarch, was ranked number five in California by Vivino in 20. It's just, it's good stuff. And, you know, anywhere from 40 to $60 is kind of where their wines go. Frank Family, check it out. What else? beer. Trogues. Trogues is a beer now headquartered in Hershey, PA, started in Harrisburg, PA by brothers Chris and John Trogner. They they like to make the beer, and one night over a few too many test brews, when they they hit upon the name Trogues, which combined their last name with Krogue, the Flemish word for pub. See, very clever. And on, uh, I guess, July 18th, 1997, they sold their first pint of Trogues Pale Ale on Paxton Street in Harrisburg, PA in 2010. They'd gotten so big that they moved and they opened a brewery, a new brewery in Hershey, PA in, in, on October 24, 2011. Hershey, PA, near and dear to my heart. My late brother Brian went to college there, Elizabethtown in, in Hershey, PA. And we used to go up there when we were kids all the time to, to the Hershey factory, get some chocolate. Well, they make great beer there too at Trogues. And they got two new beers that have just come out for the fall, the Trogues Hop Cyclone Hazy Double IPA, and then this perennial favorite, and I'm not a big pumpkin buy, but I do like this beer, Master of Pumpkins, and they're available for the first time in 16-ounce cans. And let me just tell you a little bit about the Hop Cyclone. It's got it's got a pineapple flavor, a lot of citrus going on, some peach there. Oh, it's a delicious beer. It clocks in at 9% alcohol by volume, and it's available on draft if you're at Trogues in Pennsylvania or in 16-ounce cans, wherever it is sold. This is a once-a-year double IPA, which just goes away. So you, if you want it, you better get it now. And then you got the Master of Pumpkins. So they get they actually get Strites Orchard in Pennsylvania. They get some long neck Pumpkins. And they season the beer with these pumpkins. And they use 3,000 pounds of these long neck pumpkins to destem them. They roast them. They hand them off to the brewers. The, the puree, the pumpkin puree goes right into the mash tun. So you get this, it's got some cinnamon, some clove, ginger, nutmeg. It is a delicious beer. There's some caramel in there as well, some vanilla bean. Again, 16 ounce cans of the Trogues Master of Pumpkins. I don't know if you can get it. Uh, outside of Pennsylvania. I hope you can, but Trogues is T-R-O-E-G-S dot com slash brewfinder to try to find that beer from Trogues. And man, I don't know. I think that's all I got today. I want to thank Charles Woodson, the great NFL player, soon to be Hall of Famer, Charles Woodson. Check out Intercept Wines. Thank you, folks, for joining as always, we'll catch you on the next one, huh?